Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello, and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, February 24th. I'm Teresa Watson. And I'm Anthony Vassone, in for Leslie Palma. In our top story tonight, Teresa and I will discuss with prominent black pro-life leader, Walter Hoy, how abortion is black genocide. Leslie had the opportunity to meet with Bob Lalonde, Priest for Life's Director of International Outreach, as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of Priest for Life involvement in the United Nations as a non-governmental organization. Teresa will tell you about a special election in Virginia that made history in the Commonwealth, along with other political happenings in political news in a nutshell. Anthony reports on the dreadful case of a 15-year-old girl who was coerced into having an abortion and all the pro-life news that occurred this week in Abortion in the News. Stay tuned as Teresa spoke with Bridget Van Means from Thrive at the Students for Life Summit as she explains how Thrive gives women true options instead of abortion. February is Black History Month. It was created to focus attention on the contributions of African-Americans to the United States. It honors all Black people from all periods of U.S. history. Tonight, I am honored to introduce my friend, Walter Hoy, who is the founder and president of the Issues for Life Foundation and the California Civil Rights Foundation, founder of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California, and an executive member of the National Black Pro-Life Coalition, Welcome to the show, Walter. Oh my goodness, Teresa, it's good to see you. Anthony, how you doing? Good morning, Walter. <laughs> Walter, what gave you uh, the passion to work tirelessly to end abortion? Well, that's, that's a good question. It, it, it had to do with the birth of my firstborn son. I don't know if I've talked much about this, but my son was born about, oh, about five months and he weighed in at 2.1. Ultimately, he went down to 1.9. And one day in the hospital, uh, I was holding him literally in the palm of my hand. And he was down at 1.9. It was like holding a, a fork, a knife, a silverware in, in the palm of my right hand. And I was just asking God to save his life. And that's when God spoke to me. God simply said that what I was holding in the palm of my hand is what's supposed to be on the inside of a woman. And from that moment, my life changed dramatically. I clearly understood what abortion was and what abortion does. Wow, that's that's quite impactful. But, and recently, Walter, in a press release, I think it was on February 20th, you said that abortion is black genocide. So genocide is defined as the deliberate and systematic destruction in whole or in part of an ethnic, racial, religious, or national group. Is the use of the term genocide in your statement a bit exaggerated? No, it, it's not. When, when I take a look at the statistics, I look at, look at the data, uh, particularly when I take a look at the fertility rate, it's incredible what was happening in my community. And so um, let me give you an example. I, I did some research oh, a few years ago, and I was looking at a government document, and it took me back to 1850, and the total fertility rate for black folk was 7.9. But then 100 years later, 
1950, it dropped to 3.6. And by 1975, it dropped to 2.9. And today, the total fertility rate for Black Americans is down to 1.7. I mean, if we get down to 1.4, 1.5, we're taking a look at what I call irreversibility. There's no economic model in the country, in the world, where any demographic has ever come back from a total fertility rate of 1.4. So uh, abortion is having a huge impact in my community. Walter, we've been told abortion is the number one cause of death in Black America. Could you share some of the horrific statistics demonstrating that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I appreciate the question. And we um, we were looking at the CDC data for 2018, and it had, it had it denoted that abortion in my community was 33% of all abortions in America. Now you got to keep in mind that we're at best 14% of the United States of the country, but we account for 33% of all abortions and all this. I mean, you've got to take a look at that percentage just a little bit closer. If you take a look at the data from blackdemographics.com, Black American women make up about 13%. But if you take a look at ages 18 to 64, we're looking at 6% of all women in the United States of America. So 6% is responsible for 33% 2018, responsible for, oh my goodness, it jumps up to 38.4% in 2019. And today, today, it's still climbing. We're the largest percentage now, 39.2% abortions of all abortions come from my community. Wow, those are staggering uh, statistics, Walter. So what do you do at Issues for Life? How does how do you work to end abortion in your community? Well, we work directly with, with pastors. Uh, still, the, the most important voice in my community is, is pastors, you know, black leadership in the church. And so we work directly with them and we've got you know, several programs that we use throughout uh, our, our ministry and have proven to be, be highly effective. And some of what we do is <laughs> very different and um, highly unusual. <laughs> do you care to expand on that a little bit? <laughs> well, we have what, what we call a, an underground railroad. Uh, essentially, we'll take a, a pastor and his wife. If his wife can't come, <laughs> he can't come. We need both of them. And we'll take them to a secret location. We'll hold them for four days from Tuesday to Friday. You know, they get plenty of time on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday to do what they have to do as pastors. But we'll take them at no cost to them whatsoever. Doesn't matter where they are in the country. We'll pick them up at their home, get them to the airport, and then we'll bring them to the secret location. And in the secret location, We'll, we'll literally shower them with love. And then we start pouring in the information. We have, we have a medical team. A medical team, oh my goodness, consists of former black abortions. Mm. And they no longer perform abortions because they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus changed everything in their life. We've got a, a civil rights team and it's led by our, our favorite, uh, uh, Alveda King. Uh, she comes and it's just amazing of what she can share. Oh my goodness, when she starts talking about 
her mother Naomi, Naomi and what was going to happen in her life. Oh my goodness, that's that's something that many black pastors have never heard. We've got abortion recovery team. We've got another member of our team a few years ago had a program that had over 200 young black women commit themselves to abstinence. They were gonna commit themselves to re remaining abstinent until they got married. And that program was fantastic. The pastors are just shocked to hear that. We share a lot of information and in that time period, we get to reach them, we get to implant strategies that they can take back directly to their congregation and implement programs that can help us with this issue. Walter, I'm, I'm sure many of our viewers would like to, to know more about your work and how they can help. Uh, where can our viewers go to find out more about what you do? <laughs> uh, have the viewers come to our, our website. Thank you for asking. Our, our website is issues, and that's plural, issues, the number four life org and right there at the top they can just click on the donation button and that would be a great blessing to us well walter thank you so much Lori, about your son and uh, we'd like to wish blessings to you and your beautiful wife Lori, for all that you're doing in the pro-life community it was truly an honor to have you with us here tonight oh my goodness we know we know please know that we love you and we want to keep working together Awesome. Thank God you so bless, much. God bless, Walter. Good night now. Take care. God bless. This year marks the 20th anniversary of Priests for Life involvement in the United Nations as a non-governmental organization. Joining me to explain what that means and the global nature of the pro-life struggle is Bob Lalonde, Priests for Life's Director of International Outreach. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Leslie. So what does it mean to be a non-governmental organization or NGO at the United Nations? And why was it important for Priests for Life to have that status? So, uh, 20 years is a big deal. Uh, Father Frank thought that we should have a presence at the UN years ago. So working with Cardinal Martino, he got this all set up. And so I've been doing it for about 12 years now. But what it does is it gives you a seat at the table, not, not the table, but at least a table. So it's an opportunity for Priests for Life to sit in on meetings, to be heard, and to register some strong points for life. So, so that's the significance of being there. But what does it mean to be an NGO exactly? Uh, so the NGO <laughs> part gives us the consultative status. So, for instance, um, there are a couple of big meetings a year uh, on ECOSOC, which is um, Economic and Social Council. And so the issues that we deal with, life issues, the family. Uh, so we get to sit in on the meetings. We get to um, represent. We get to issue statements that are published in several languages. So we basically get to be heard. Um, by the various heads of uh, states for, that are representing them at the UN. And I think you're in, you're in a, a busy season now with several high-level commissions planning meetings. Which ones are most important for the life issue and how does Priests for Life get involved? Yeah, that's a great question. So we just finished the Commission on Social Development and um, they're just, uh, they had some agreement language that they came up with on five different resolutions. We didn't have a statement for that particular commission, but I was there. Um, it's now just starting to shift back from uh, online, um, Zoom basically to in-person. So we're going through that transition now, mm -hmm. um, but it was significant. And, and we keep pushing back on these issues of the family. They keep trying to reinterpret the family. 
Um, so it's important to stand strong. So we're involved. We're involved in that one. And now we've got um, coming up in two weeks is a CSW, Commission on the Status of Women. And that's really the big one. There's often 10, 15,000 people who attend that. Um, literally thousands of NGOs participate in this meeting. And that's really where the, the, the rubber hits the road on our issues for life um, and anti-abortion. Uh, this year is even tougher still, it looks like, because they're trying to exclude us from even having side events and participating. So it's a lot like the cancel culture that we're experiencing here. Unless we agree to their principles, uh, we're basically not even allowed to sit at the table and express ourselves. So, so that's what's coming up next. And we have a statement that we've issued for that one. And that one's on sex selection is basically protecting the girl child because there's a lot of countries around the world that favor a son. And so girls are aborted. So we're missing like tens of millions of girls over a period of time. And it creates social imbalance in the country or in the region. And you can imagine if people want to abort a girl child, um, what are they going to think of women after uh, girls are born kind of thing? So the, the, the dignity falls and all that. And then there's the final one is actually that one's going to be in April. And that's the Commission on Population Development. And for that one, we have a different statement. It's basically a thousand days of life. And it, it takes nutrition um, from conception all the way through. Because you, when you're born, if, if you've been well fed and had the proper nutrients, you're going to have 100 billion brain cells. And so that will help you be more predisposed to getting an education. Uh, so we emphasize that first thousand days of life and good health care, good nutrition, so that the child would be born well and healthy. Interesting. So how yeah. many member <laughs> nations <laughs> how many member nations support the sanctity of life and how many are pro-abortion? Yeah, that's always a, a moving question, and it depends on the time of year. The forces are really powerful lined up against life. So we've got um, basically Western Europe, Canada being the worst, uh, the United States up until recently with the change of Roe v. Wade. Um, so we've got, you know, South Korea, some, some are really, really bad. And then others are still trying to protect life. So you've got countries um, like um, Hungary, for instance, that is really pro-life, pro-family oriented. A lot of the African countries are still standing strong. We've got what was started a couple of years back under uh, the Trump administration, and, and that's the Geneva Consensus Declaration. And that's kind of like 37 countries who are affirming life principles and the family and um, rallying behind that. So the rest of the countries, not so much. So you're looking at about 198 countries uh, that are in the United Nations. And so we're always struggling. It's very much a David and Goliath situation. But we've got not only what we're doing at the end, UN, but we've got PNCI-US, which is Parliamentary Network for Critical Issues that Father Frank brought on a few years back. And they're continuously informing the pro-life movement around the world. So we're pushing back as hard as we can. Does your work change depending on who's in the White House and who the president nominates as the UN ambassador? Yeah, for sure. That's another great question. But I mean, we, we've had some tough times. Um, we had that short little period of relief uh, under uh, President Trump when we were able to move things forward. And it actually, even with the change in Roe v. Wade, the reversal has had an impact around the world also. So we're, we're sensing a reinvigoration. The groups at the UN, um, CFAM, for instance, uh, Family Watch, a lot of great coalition members, pro-life coalition members working, not just at the United Nations, but for instance, we're also at the Organization of American States. We work with uh, Catholic NGOs and out of Rome. So so we've got a lot going on. And Father Frank has been pushing us to keep moving forward as much as we're doing in the States. 
this all needs to be replicated around the world as well. All right. Well, I was going to ask you about our other international outreaches, but you've already answered. <laughs> okay, good. So, but just briefly, what's the Organization of American States? What What is that? That's all of North and South America? Yeah. So that's, that's what encompasses, mm -hmm. you know, that region. So it's kind of like a, it's independent from the United Nations. It's a little mm -hmm. subset, but it's an area that's very active. Um, traditionally, Latin American countries have been very uh, Christian, Catholic, and pro-life. And that's been under assault mm -hmm. in the last several years. So we're seeing countries being picked off one at a time, for instance, um, and, and giving in to abortion where it's being legalized and, and penalties removed, et cetera. So we're seeing that take place right in our own hemisphere. So that's significant as well. Well, thank you so much for tiny, uh, finding the time to join me and for everything you do to promote life on a global scale. And happy 20th anniversary. <laughs> thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right. Take care. <laughs> Thanks. Democrat Jennifer McClellan has made history as the first black woman elected to represent Virginia in Congress. McClellan will join 29 other black women in the House. There are no black women in the Senate. McClellan, a state senator, defeated Republican Leon Benjamin in Tuesday's special election in the 4th Congressional District. She will fill the seat of Democratic Representative Donald McEachin, who died from cancer shortly after he was reelected in November. Her election will restore the House to a full 435 members, with 222 Republicans and 213 Democrats. McClellan's campaign focused on her legislative victories, highlighting efforts to protect voting rights and domestic workers, issues that resonated with her family's experiences and that she said helped shape her policy views. McClellan's campaign also touched on abortion rights, which was a key issue for Democrats in last year's midterm elections. She pledged to support passage of a federal law to codify Roe v. Wade. A group of 20 Democratic governors on Tuesday announced they are forming a coalition to protect and expand abortion access in their states as bans continue to be enacted following the fall of Roe v. Wade. The Reproductive Freedom Alliance works as a formal structure for governors to respond together to bans coming from red states and judges who are advancing their ideological agenda, particularly the upcoming ruling from a judge in Texas that could end access to abortion pills nationwide. While the group, which was initiated by California Governor Gavin Newsom, calls itself nonpartisan, so far only Democratic governors have joined. Staff of the governors are expected to meet at least once a month, and the governors themselves would meet once or twice a year to discuss abortion protective measures, according to the Washington Post. The group builds on California, Oregon, and Washington's West Coast defense efforts to expand access to abortion as the states prepared to receive an influx of patients following the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision. Republican lawmakers in Montana wield a supermajority that gives them the power to ask voters to approve a constitutional amendment that would break the link between abortion rights and the right to privacy in the state's constitution. But so far, they haven't sought to ask voters to make the change, a rewrite that would make lawmakers to ban or further restrict abortion after the U.S. Supreme Court gave the power back to the states. 
While 14 states have near-total bans on abortion since Roe v. Wade was overturned, Montana is one example of how, in some Republican-controlled states, the abortion policy battle will likely play out for a while. This takes time, said Montana House Speaker Matt Ruggier, a Republican. It took years to overturn the wrong decision of Roe v. Wade. Montana is one of 11 states, most recently joined by South Carolina, where courts have ruled that abortion access is a constitutional right, and legal battles to dismiss or entrench those rights are picking up. In Florida, reproductive health providers are challenging a 15-week total ban on abortion in the state Supreme Court, citing its long-standing interpretation that the state's right to privacy extends to abortion. Legislation is pending over what standards Iowa will adopt after the state Supreme Court reversed its 2018 decision that due process and equal protections secured abortion access. Kansas and Kentucky voters rejected constitutional amendments that it would have declared there is no right to an abortion. Michigan, Vermont, and California voters codified abortion rights in their constitution. And Montana voters rejected a Born Alive initiative that would have created criminal penalties for health workers who do not attempt to save the life of a baby, embryo, or fetus after a botched abortion or other birth. Mexican political parties are courting voters living in Texas ahead of Mexico's presidential election. Nearly half of all immigrants in Texas, about 2.5 million, are from Mexico, and they represent an enormous pool of potential votes for Mexico's political parties. All Mexican citizens can vote from abroad in presidential elections, but only a fraction of them have registered to vote in previous elections, and even fewer actually cast ballots in Mexican elections. Senator Ryan Wyden, Democrat from Oregon, called on President Biden's administration to ignore a potential court order banning the FDA from distributing an abortion drug. Wyden called for Biden to upend the rule of law in a Friday speech on the Senate floor. Federal Judge Matthew Kaczmarek is hearing a case in which claimants say the FDA wrongly approved the abortion drug Mifepristone. The case may result in a nationwide ban on the drug pending a Supreme Court decision. In the coming days, a lawless Trump-appointed judge is expected to ban access to abortion medication nat nationwide. Wyden wrote on Twitter, I'm calling on the FDA to protect the safety of every woman in America by keeping the drug on the market, no matter the ruling. The distribution of abortion drugs has become a hotly contested issue in the months since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Several states are warning pharmaceutical companies and distributors that selling some abortion drugs in states with strict laws on the issue may be illegal. Representative David Cicilline, a Rhode Island Democrat, will resign from Congress June 1st to run the Rhode Island Foundation. The 1st Congressional District of Rhode Island is a Democratic stronghold, with Cicilline winning, winning by almost 30 points in his last midterm election. There will be a special election held to determine who fills the seat. Cicilline has held the seat since 2011. Prior to that, he served as the mayor of Providence for two terms. Cicilline was also a member of the Rhode Island House of Representatives for four terms. 
In early 2021, Cicilline served as one of the impeachment managers during the second impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. And that's political news in a nutshell. The Justice Department on Wednesday indicted eight people under the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, or the FACE Act, for an incident that took place outside an abortion clinic in Michigan in 2020, adding to the growing list of the DOJ's prosecution of abortion clinic protesters. According to court documents, the eight defendants were charged with engaging in a civil rights conspiracy and with violating the FACE Act by blocking the entrance of the Northland Family Planning Clinic which offers abortion procedures in Sterling Heights, Michigan, in August 2020. The FACE Act makes it a federal crime to use or threaten to use force to injure, intimidate, or interfere with a person seeking reproductive health services. Convictions of FACE Act violations carry up to 11 years in prison and up to $350,000 in fines. The indictment alleges that one of the people charged advertised the Sterling Heights clinic blockade on social media and live streamed the incident. The DOJ's Office of Civil Rights, led by Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark, is leading the prosecution, along with the U.S. Attorney of the Eastern District in Michigan. The DOJ said all eight defendants violated the FACE Act by using physical obstruction to intimidate and interfere with the Sterling Heights Clinic's employees and patients because the clinic's employees were providing and patients were seeking reproductive health services. Wednesday's announcement comes less than a month after Mark Houck was acquitted in a Pennsylvania jury. Hauk is a pro-life protester whom the DOJ also charged with FACE Act violations for allegedly pushing a Planned Parenthood escort during a clash outside an abortion clinic in 2021. Shortly after Hauk's arrest last fall, his attorney Peter Breen told Fox News Digital that his client's arrest was an outrageous abuse of power from the Justice Department that was intended to intimidate pro-life people. Representative Chip Roy, Republican Texas, praised Houck's acquittal and called for the FACE Act to be repealed. Justice has been served, but this brazen exercise in intimidation never should have happened. Mark Houck and his eight children never should have been forced to live through an FBI raid or see their father led away in handcuffs, Roy told Fox News in a statement. Congress must continue oversight of the FACE Act and should consider a full repeal of this eminently abused and clearly weaponized federal usurpation of state police powers, Roy said. Congress should also take a hard look at the tens of billions we're giving to the Department of Justice and exactly how those funds are being used. The DOJ and the FBI have come under heavy scrutiny from Republicans and conservative activists who say the agencies aren't dealing even-handedly, since only two arrests have been made following dozens of attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers following the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. Conversely, the DOJ has prosecuted over 30 pro-life protesters over the last year, including Wednesday's batch. The parents of a 15-year-old Virginia girl have filed a lawsuit claiming she was coerced into having an abortion. Named in the suit are the Dickinson County Department of Social Services, the agency's local director, the abortion business owner, and the abortionist. The suit says the pregnancy was the result of a conscious choice on the part of the teen and that she intended to have her baby when in January, when she was three months pregnant, 
Social services removed her from her father's home. The reason for the removal is not known. That day, a social services employee took her to an abortion mill in Bristol, Virginia, where she was eventually persuaded to abort her child and was given the first pill in the chemical abortion regimen. The suit seeks $15 million in damages. The owner of the abortion mill, Diane Dursis, also owned the Jackson, Mississippi abortion business that was at the heart of the U.S. Supreme Court case that ultimately led to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Dursis also owns abortion businesses in Georgia and New Mexico and one in Richmond, Virginia, and she opened the Bristol facility in July to capitalize on Tennessee's near-total abortion ban. Bristol is only one mile from the Tennessee border. The Bristol City Council is in the process of passing a law to ban abortion businesses in the city. Existing facilities, like the one owned by Dursis, would be prohibited from relocating or expanding. Utah lawmakers are taking steps to outlaw abortion businesses in the state. If the bill called Abortion Changes is enacted, abortion facilities would no longer be able to obtain a license starting in May and no clinics would be allowed to operate in the state beginning in 2024. It would also move most abortions to hospitals. The bill passed the House and is awaiting a vote in the Senate. A trigger law that would have banned most abortions in the state has been blocked by a court, so abortion remains legal in the state until 18 weeks. A New York City-run community health clinic in the Bronx has become the first in the nation to distribute abortion pills free of charge. The program is part of Mayor Eric Adams' plan to spend $1.2 million in taxpayer funding to provide free chemical abortions to city residents and non-city residents alike. Clinics in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens will offer the free pills by the end of the year. Only Staten Island, the former home of Priests for Life, has been left out of the mayor's plan to expand abortion in a state that already performs more abortions than any state except California. A pro-abortion liberal will face off against a pro-life conservative for a seat on Wisconsin's Supreme Court. The winner of the April contest will determine the ideological makeup of the court and likely will impact the fate of a near-total abortion ban enacted after Roe v. Wade was overturned. A four-way nominating contest in the state on Tuesday ended with Janet Protasiewicz, a pro-abortion Milwaukee judge, as the top vote-getter, with former state Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly, a conservative, in second place. In 2016, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors passed a law prohibiting city-funded travel and contracting with states that passed anti-LGBTQ laws. The prohibition eventually grew to 30 states when those that had passed protections for the unborn were added to the ban. Intended in part to bully states into complying with California's permissive policies, the law turned out to have had very limited success and actually cost the city 10 to 20% more in contracts with compliant states. Now there's a move to amend or repeal the law. It's an ineffective policy that complicates the business of San Francisco government and makes it very likely that we pay more than we should for goods and services, said Supervisor Raphael Mandelman. The unborn child of a pregnant Florida inmate is asking to be released from custody because the baby has not been charged with a crime. Natalia Harrell has been held without bond for seven months in a Miami correctional facility following an arrest in July 
on a charge of second-degree murder following an altercation in a packed Uber. Harrell was six weeks pregnant when she allegedly shot a mother of three. Harrell's lawyer, acting on behalf of her unborn child last week, filed an emergency writ of habeas corpus, which allows a court to decide if someone's imprisonment is, is lawful. The lawyer contends the baby has not been charged with a crime, has been forced to exist in close proximity to dangerous criminals, and has not gotten the medical attention needed for a healthy birth. The director of Miami-Dade Corrections and Rehabilitation has until Monday to respond to this unique writ. And finally, the New Mexico House on Tuesday passed a bill that would prohibit cities and public schools in the state from interfering with a woman's access to abortion. The bill, passed after an intense three-hour debate, takes aims at several cities and counties in the eastern part of the state that have passed laws banning abortion within their borders. The proposal won approval on a 38 to 31 vote. Six Democrats joined all 25 Republicans in voting against the bill. It now heads to the Senate, where Democrats also hold a majority. And that's abortion in the news. During our first season, Leslie and I introduced you to two women whose babies were saved from abortion through the help of Thrive Nation. I was blessed to meet up with the founder of Thrive Nation, Bridget Van Means, at the Students for Life Summit, and here's what she had to say. Hello, I'm Teresa Watson with Pro-Life Primetime News, and we're here at the Students for Life Summit, Pro-Life Summit, and I'm here with my friend uh, Bridget Van Means with Thrive Nation, and welcome. I'm so excited to be here. All I can say right now is wow, wow, wow. Is that a good enough interview? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we don't need anything else. It's right? been fantastic. So wow. first March for Life since Roe was overturned. Yes, had to be years. here. Very meaningful. I've been in the pro-life movement for about 20 years. So, you know, I've been, I put some sweat equity in, but just that idea of people for 50 years asking God to do this and walking in his faithfulness, right? There have been times, this is my fifth march, and there have been times where I was here, and I always trusted that God would do it, but we all felt like it was so far in the future, right? So to be able to be walking in it now, today, and be so aware of God's faithfulness, I think is so incredible. Yeah. Well, Bridget, tell us what, what is Thrive Nation? What do you do? Yeah, so we're super excited. First of all, I come from Missouri, which was the first abortion-free state in the nation, the only one before Roe and the first one post-Roe. And we did that with the help of lawmakers, of course, and frontline workers, but our centers played a big role. So we have pro-woman, faith-based women's health care. It's life-affirming women's health care. We don't refer for abortion, but we're able to advertise and market to abortion-determined women, women who are looking for an abortion, who are scheduled for an abortion. We're able to resonate with them in a lot of the ways we're talking about today in the conference, like understanding where they're coming from, understanding that in the same circumstances, even we might think of having an abortion and then really making an opportunity to show her how she can still have a great future and, and have her child, whether that's through the resources that we provide or placing that child in a beautiful adoption plan. One of the things I like to say is no girl is play, I have one daughter, I watched her play with Barbies. I played with Barbies, you played with Barbies. None of us played with our Barbies and dreamed and imagined of the abortion we would one day have. No girl grows up wanting that to be her situation. 
we recognize and believe that she's not really buying an abortion. She's buying her future. She thinks that if she does this thing, this medical transaction, that she can have her future back. So it's our job, if we're truly pro-life, to help paint a brighter picture for her future, to come alongside her and make that compelling case, capture her imagination for motherhood, pair that with medical services, right? Because the abortionists have taught her this isn't a moral decision. This isn't even a parenting decision. This is just a medical choice. So we've got to provide great medical services. We found when we put that together, the ultrasound image, we find when we put that together, these women are moving towards life about 90% of the time. So we're now taking this online through a telehealth platform because that's really the only way we can compete with Plan C, the abortion pill. We've heard all day today about how abortions are going to be at home, at home, no visit to a clinic. Well, we can't possibly compete with that if she has to come into a clinic. So we've actually put our centers on a web-based platform. Wonderful results. The choices for life are as good, if not better. It's really an exciting opportunity now for us to be the very first counterbrand, viable counterbrand to Planned Parenthood and also to the Plan C abortion bill. Amen. So how many Thrive Nation uh, sites are there? Yeah. And are they all in Missouri? Great question. So we made sure that the system worked in Missouri. We've now started to expand. We're in about eight states now. We expect to be in all 50 states with the telehealth model in the next 18 to 24 months. Just opened up in Philadelphia, Oklahoma City. We'll do two or three a month for about the next uh, 18 months. So it's really exciting. That's incredible. Well, as you know, we've had two of your ladies yes. on our show yeah, and their so their stories were amazing. Yeah. And I know the one thing that resonated with both of them was not only, um, you know, the financial help, right? Course, with the yeah, diapers the and all of those, the resources, yeah. but the emotional support yeah. they got. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so what we find is that when a young woman is wrapped around with those resources, Believe it or not, we have girls who say, I can't have the baby, I can't even afford diapers. We resolve that. We wrap around them like a family, right? So they're getting that emotional support. They're getting a baby shower. They're getting someone who's pampering them. Were you, did you have children? Do you have children? Yes, I do. So you know that season when you're pregnant and your family's fawning all over you and you feel like such a princess, we're able to bring that in and really just be that surrogate family for her as she's going through. And then we find these are lifelong relationships. One of those girls is now my goddaughter. Her daughter is my god-granddaughter. So it really does blossom into a family relationship. And it does have to be paired. It can't just be good feels, right? So the Good Samaritan in the Bible, we all, Jesus also said you provide the hotel and all of those things as well. So it's a very powerful model. It's just expanding God's family, isn't it? bringing them into God's family, really treating them like family. And you and I both know that motherhood is written on a little girl's heart at a young age. If you can show her how she can make that dream come true, she wants to do that. She's just really, really afraid. So Bridget, do you pick the locations for your for your centers or can, can a city or a town contact a really you and say? Question. So we're kind of doing a combination. We've ranked our states by abortion frequency. Of course, that's a priority for us. We pray, so we're hoping that God has a lot to say about it, but he seems to be speaking through donors, other pregnancy centers. 
that are saying, hey, come here, come here. This city is important to me. So it's kind of a combination of strategy, the Holy Spirit moving through people as well. That's a fun question. So contact us, uh, make a case, and we'll come to your city next. How do people reach you? So they can come right to thrivealivestl.org or thrivealiveus.org, and they'll see a place where they can contact me about becoming an affiliate. Bridget, we are so grateful for what you do. Um, this is such important work, and uh, just meeting just two ladies out of the many, many yes. that you've helped have really, really. 38,000. Wow. That's yeah. great. Well, Amazing. thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. With me today. Yeah, Very God bless you. It. God yes. bless you. you. I'm Teresa Watson. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. I'm Anthony Vassone, Resource Associate. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.